Hey guys, welcome back to The Kate Show. I am here with episode 244 already. And as we get into the new year, I have to ask, do you ever worry that the economy is going to take down your business? If so, I want you to take heart because some of today's most successful businesses were started during the crash of 2008. A lot of you know that. And actually, a few of you listening started your business in 2008. While the economy might try to push your business off course, you know that you get to push back. Okay, you're not a victim here. None of us are victims here. So today on the podcast, my fearless, no filter guest is going to show you how to ride the waves of an ever-changing economy without being flooded with fear or uncertainty. With her specialty in helping owners of organizing businesses, she's got bold wisdom and insight that's so helpful for designers, stagers, and window treatment professionals as well. I mean, no matter what type of business you run in the home industry, this episode is going to give you at least one, probably two or three nuggets of wisdom that you can use in your own business. So hold on to your hats, your hair extensions, and any other personal belongings, ladies, because this is one heck of an episode. My guest is Melissa Klug from Pro Organizer Studio, and she is passionate about women building the professional organizing businesses of their dreams. Through the Inspired Organizer program, Melissa coaches organizers on six continents each day in their businesses, and she talks to thousands more each week on her show, The Pro Organizer Podcast, where she provides real actionable solutions for starting and growing the organizing business you want to have. Before I get into my conversation with Melissa, I would like to thank today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Side Door. As an interior designer, you might feel like the only way to make money in your business is to work more hours and hire more employees and set up a retail location and basically just go crazy. And all of this at the expense of your family and your mental health. Is it really worth it? Side Door presents another option. You can sell trade-only products and earn an average commission of 30% on each sale, which is pretty genius because you don't have to depend on trying to use affiliate marketing, which has never really panned out anyway, right? And you also don't have to worry about the headache of inventory or shipping or returns or customer support. Just curate a room with all the decor, accessories, and furnishings, make the sale, and get paid, and Side Door does the rest. You can sell each package over and over or offer a custom service that lets you handcraft a package for each client. Either way, Side Door is a smarter way to scale your design firm. You can get started with them by going to onsidedoor.com to get started today. So the other episode sponsor that I have, and really this is just more of my educator link. So it's not an affiliate link, but it's an educator link that I've been sharing with you all. And you can still get, I believe it's like 50% off your first year of HoneyBook. So if you're looking for a streamlined automated client process to uplevel your business, you need to look no further than HoneyBook because HoneyBook can automate client bookings, questionnaires, contracts, invoices. And even if you're like, well, I don't know when I have to send a certain email to a certain client, so I can't really drop it in an automation, you can still create it as a template. And then when it's time to send that message to that client, you just hit send. You don't have to write anything from scratch. It's such a time saver. I use it in my agency for our custom websites, our semi-custom websites, our Pinterest services. Like I use it for all of that because... I don't have time to write from scratch and I'm not going to have my team write everything from scratch either because we're trying to be efficient here, you know? So if you're trying to be efficient, if you're trying to scale upward instead of outward, get HoneyBook. Use the code socialite at honeybook.com to get 50% off your first year. All right, guys, let's get into my conversation with Melissa Kluke. Hello, everyone, and 
welcome back to The Kate Show. I have the one and only Melissa Clug with me. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. You have been on my show a couple of times, but I've never been on yours, so I'm happy to be here. Yes, I know. And I love being on your show. I love all your listeners. And I had Jen on the show years ago. Yeah. But I realized a few months back, I'm like, why have I never had Melissa on the podcast? This doesn't make any sense to me. So here you are. We're making it happen. Yeah. And a lot of my listeners already know who you are, which is great because you are the host of the Pro Organizer Studio podcast and you've been working with Jen at Inspired Organizer for a while now. But for those of you who don't know a whole lot about you as an entrepreneur, how long have you been running your own organizing business? Yeah. So I started my business in 2018. It feels like it's been longer than that, but it's only been, you know, five and a half years at this point. So like I um, like to say, my business is in kindergarten now. <laughs> so it knows how to do a lot of stuff on its own and it's doing really well. But, you know, it still needs a little bit of help. But I am very lucky that I get to organize and I also get to coach organizers. But that kind of makes me able to have a unique perspective because I still work with clients. Like I just left a client to come here to do this interview with you and then I'm going to a client afterwards. So I still am really active in organizing and um, I love it. So it helps maybe a, a better coach as well. Mm, I love that too, because it's, the hustle is real. I mean, yeah, rush here, we go there, do this. And like <laughs> your brain has to change gears so many times, but that is part of being an entrepreneur. And now something I've always wondered is how did you end up working with Jen? Like what was the connection there? Yeah. So in 2019, so I always recommend to people that you have a business bestie. So have someone that does what you do so that you have someone that, you know, like my husband is a lovely listener, and he's great at listening to all my stories, but it's easier to just have someone that does exactly what you do that you can be like, oh my gosh, you're not gonna believe what happened to me today. So I got an organizing bestie and she was in Jen's program. So she was in Inspired Organizer and Jen did a retreat in 2019. And my business bestie said, hey, do you want to go with me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And that so that's where Jen and I met. And um, it's really kind of funny. There are, I think, some gifts of COVID. There are certainly things that I would never want to repeat again, but there were some gifts from COVID. And one of those gifts was that Jen decided to get everyone who went on that retreat in 2019 back together. And so we had a Zoom, you know, remember in the early days when we had one of those like Zoom happy hours and she and I just ended up starting to chat after that and, you know, ended up texting offline and all sorts of things and really kind of developed a friendship. And then at some point she just said, hey, you know, are you interested at all in, in coming on board? And at that time she was looking for a podcast co-host. Um, and I was like, oh, I wanted to throw my hat in the ring for that. And our relationship just developed from there. I think it's really just a testament. It's a reminder to, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but networking, <laughs> it's important to reach out to people in the industry and to really know who's out there and to develop those friendships and those relationships because it can really turn into something that you didn't expect, which I love. Yeah, uh, it's really exciting and interesting because like when we're all first starting our businesses, we have this picture in our brain of what success looks like and the path we're going to take to get there. And what I have seen over and over personally is that I'm glad my vision for my business didn't work out because this is so much better and it's yeah. so much different and it made me very uncomfortable and it will continue to make me very uncomfortable because that's me growing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I completely relate with that. And you and Jen are like this dynamic duo and 
I completely agree with you that your strength is that you're still an active organizer. It's not something that was in your past life. It's something that you're still dealing with. It's in your face every day. And because you have this involvement with Inspired Organizer and in your own business, I mean, you have your thumb on the pulse of the industry. So are you seeing any changes in the organizing industry over the past year? And if so, is there anything that you can do to give organizers a heads up about them? Yeah. So one of the things that I'm seeing, so in um, both my own business and in other businesses is we're starting to get, and this is great, by the way, I'm a very big believer that a rising tide raises all boats. So organizing is getting a lot more common. There are a lot more people that know about professional organizing. You know, even back when I started, I was like, oh my gosh, everyone knows what this is, right? No, they don't. Um, We still have a long way to go in terms of people knowing. I still will have people say to me, wait, that's a job that you do? But the great news for me is, um, and a great news for everyone is, a lot more people know about professional organizing. Now, on the flip side, a lot more people are getting into professional organizing. One of the great things about our business is it has a very low, what we would have called back in the corporate days, the low barrier to entry. So you don't have to have a ton of capital to start a business. You don't have to have certifications. It is very easy for you to start an organizing business if that is a skill and a passion that you have. So I am seeing more competition in the industry, but I would like to say uh, differently than any other industry that I have ever been in. Organizers are the most lovely group of people. (laughs) And um, really, the organizers that I work with, both in Inspired Organizer and just in my community, we really believe in collaboration over competition. And that sounds hollow, but it's really true. So even though there is more what I would call competition, there are more organizers out there. I actually believe that's good for the industry because it is allowing, you know, we know that more people know about organizing and also it allows all of us to be able to niche down if we want to. That's something I'm seeing more too, is people really leaning into who is my ideal client? What is my niche? You know, do I really want to do one certain thing? There are definitely things that are happening in the industry. And I think that one of the key things that people have to do to be successful, and you know this as an entrepreneur, um, and you kind of just touched on it, is being flexible and just saying, like, I don't know what's going to be coming my way. I can't plan for everything. That's tough for organizers. We love to plan. But that flexibility and saying, yes, more people are coming into the industry, but I'm prepared for that. And the other thing that I see, too, is there are so many options out there for organizing. It's not just organizing a pantry now. There are more businesses that are embracing this. More people are seeing it as a wellness or a self-care kind of a thing. And so those are some of the kind of the big things that I see. Yeah, I love that perspective because... There are plenty of clients I've heard from who have gotten nervous that there are now so many more organizers around them. But I'm going to remember your line about, you know, this lets you niche down. Yes. Because when nobody knows what an organizer is, you can't have a super specific target because then you really won't get anybody. You have to go into the saturated market with the laser focus and say, nope, I only work with this type of project or this type of client. And then we've seen how well that that pans out. It makes marketing yeah. easier. To- the other thing that I will say, too, is I was just thinking about the client that I left this morning. You know, I was driving out of her neighborhood and I had this moment where I was like, how many people in this neighborhood could benefit from organizers? Probably every house, right? <laughs> or 
yeah, about 100%. I had a guy ask me recently, like, how many people need this kind of work? And I'm like, um, pretty much everybody. <laughs> So let's but let's call it 80 percent like there are 80 percent of people in that neighborhood that could use a professional organizer. So even if there are more people that are getting into the industry, there is enough business out there for all of us. Yes, yes. And that's something that I've even told myself from the moment I started my business, because it was so easy to look around, especially as a new business owner and be like, oh, they started their business at the same time as me. Why do they look more successful. You know, they appear to have more success and it starts to like eat away at our confidence and be like, oh, this is just, this feels gross. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be that way. It really is about perspective. And that's why I really appreciate your perspective on both sides of the industry, the coaching and the yeah. on the ground. Now, every organizer listening and designers and stagers too are really aware of the economic status that we are in in the United States right now. It's yep. not the worst. It's not the best. It is what it is. It's kind of a roller coaster. And with mortgage rates being kind of high, although literally yesterday morning, I heard they're actually going down. So I was, yeah, they're still pretty bad, though. It's, they're still, yeah, they're still pretty, they're bad. But yeah, I know. I, I'm like, I'm grasping at straws here, honestly. Yeah. That means people really aren't going to be willing to sell and give up their 3% interest rate. Because like, I mean, that's what I did do that. But whatever. I'm yeah. nuts anyway. So <laughs> I did. I sold and bought and I have a terrible interest rate. But whatever. A lot of people are going to be staying where they're at, which means they want to improve their current living situation. Are you seeing that impact on the leads that are coming in? Are people using that as a reason to get organized or has that had no bearing whatsoever? So I'm not seeing that as much. What I am seeing is a little bit of I, I do think the economic so the overall economic conditions, people are just really nervous, even though. There actually isn't, if you look at the data, just because I'm a, a nerd um, about business stuff, I, I look at this kind of stuff. There isn't actually the economic data in a lot of cases to support that we're, you know, in a tough situation. Some of these things, you know, inflation feels bad. Things of the, you know, the prices of the grocery store feel bad. The mortgage prices, all of these stories are out there. What I am seeing the impact of that is not necessarily on people staying in their houses, but more of discretionary income or things that people might consider luxury spending or extra spending. It is slowing down, I think, a little bit for some organizers. I think that there are certain pockets of people that might have reached out a year ago that maybe are kind of on a wait and see kind of a thing. But I will also say that there are still plenty of people who are out there who are willing to spend the money, who are willing to, you know, invest in this service for themselves, for their house, um, everything else. I do think that in 2024, we're going to continue to see people saying, like, this is really important to me. I'm still in my house. <laughs> you know, it's not 2020, but I am still home officing. I'm still doing these things there are always people that are willing to invest in the business and the, or in the services rather when they're needed. Yeah. And again, another good perspective to have because some people will say, oh, this is not a good time to start a business. And 2020 wasn't a good time. 2008 wasn't a good time to start a right. business. So is there a good time to start an organizing business? And if so, when is it? Yeah. So uh, this is one that is is more for like if if people out there are moms, like there was this phrase that people told me about before I had kids that was like, there's never a perfect time to have kids. There's never a perfect time to do anything, right? Like you are never going to have that magical, like, you know, 
the clouds part and all of a sudden there is a sign that's like, you should do this now. There's never that perfect time. And so what I think is very much, especially about the organizing business, there is never not good time to start it. Now, it may not be the time to say, I'm quitting my full-time job and starting this from scratch tomorrow. That might not be the decision you want to make. But if you are saying, you know what, I have always had, what I hear a lot from people is like, I've always had this dream of doing this, or it's always been in the back of my mind that I want to do this. There is nothing that says, there is no black and white that says, well, the only way to start an organizing business is to quit my full-time job and start this, you can start it as a a passion project. You can do one client a weekend. You can build up your practice. Maybe you decide to do it part-time. There are so many ways that you can start a business that allows you to build that up and get that confidence and see what the economic situation is. See what the see what the world looks like in six months and then decide, do I want to take the leap and do it? Do I have the fortitude? Do I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur? Do I know the good, the bad, the ugly? And going into it eyes wide open, I think is is a really good idea. So I, I personally believe there's no good or bad time to start a business. There are very successful businesses that started in the depths of the 2008 recession, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, some of them are my clients still and they're yeah. doing really well. And they had to become very tough when they started their business and that served them like it just continues to serve them. Yeah. So yeah, I completely agree with you. It, there's really no such thing as a wrong time, but there is such a thing as a wrong mindset. So that's yeah. why when you said, do you have the fortitude to be an entrepreneur? Like, Ooh, that's the big question. Because being an organizer is one thing, being yep. a business owner is another. Totally. Well, and I will tell you, I know a ton of people that started are still very successful organizing businesses in 2020. Um, People who are like, oh, I decided to launch my business in February of 2020. And then look what happened. Guess what? They're still here. They're still operating. They still made it. And you're exactly right is having that fortitude of there is organizing with a client and knowing that you are good at that and knowing how to do that. And then there is also, do I know what it's like to be a business owner? Do I know what it's like to do kind of the behind the scenes thing? And I think really speaking to one of the things you're trying to ask is, you know, it's not just, are you good at organizing? It is, do you know what you have to do to get clients? Is it a good time to start a business? Yeah, anytime can be a good time to start a business. You do also have to be ready to figure out how do I get clients? And whether that's getting education from, you know, someone like you or someone like me or figuring it out on your own, it isn't a magical process. It does definitely take work. But I think the work is fun, by the way. That's just me. But I think it's fun to go find clients. Um, But you have to know about that. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be up for the challenge. And you certainly have been up for the challenge. And I've been up for the challenge, but I've also certainly had my moments of whining, especially early days. Yeah. Or I told my husband, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, screw this. This sucks. And he's like, no, you've got something here. Just keep going. Just keep doing it. Yeah. So it helps to have people who can be your cheerleaders. Totally. That's why I like Inspired Organizer, because you all are each other's cheerleaders. We are. Yeah. And coaches and mentors. And I can always tell when I get an organizer that isn't from your group because she feels so discouraged. Yeah. 
And alone. He lacks resources. Yes, so alone. Because I'm used to getting the organizers who come over from you guys. So thanks for that, by the way. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> referral. Uh, yeah. But they just come and they're vibrant and they're excited and they're really not worried about the fact that there are so many other organizers around them. So yeah, they see it more as an asset. So you guys are doing amazing work over there, I have to say. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I love about it is that we give people that community and that there is a place where you can come and ask any question. And I mean any question <laughs> about your business. And you can come and get cheerleading. You can get support. You can get great advice. Or you can just say, like, I had an amazing day. I want to tell you guys about it and, like, really feel that it is important. Yeah. And the other thing is being able to brainstorm and yeah. brain dump with people who understand what you're trying to build versus yeah. trying to explain your business and your goals and your ideas to someone who loves you but has no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> that can be so frustrating. And that's why I want to ask you on behalf of the organizers listening, what marketing tactics have you seen be the most effective for organizers? Yeah, I love this question. Um, because as you and I have talked about on many occasions, everyone's brain always goes to, oh, I have to go do social media. I have to go do social media. I have to go start an Instagram. I have to go start Facebook. And hands down, I'm not saying that there aren't people in the organizing industry who have very successful social media accounts, but hands down, I will shout from every rooftop and I will die on every hill that the thing that you really need to get good at um, when you are an organizer is you need to get good at Google. And the way that you get good at Google is by having a Google business profile, by having a really compelling website. So I always talk about uh, building your digital foundation. So having a really good website with good SEO. And by the way, you do not have to pay $2,000 a month to have someone do your SEO for you. There are very, oh. very simple things that all of us can do on SEO that are really, really easy to find out. So you build that digital foundation and then you also have to do a couple of different things. And I know you believe in these things too. You have to build an email list. You have to do email newsletters. Even if you have four people on that list, you build the muscle of sending out that email once a month. There has never been a time that I have sent out an email from my Home by 11 account that I have not gotten at least one booking from it ever. And we see it in our group all the time. We see it all the time. It just happened yesterday in our group where someone said, hey, I just sent an email out to my list that just said, hey, thinking of you guys at the end of the year it wasn't even like that impactful of a newsletter. You know, it wasn't like a big newsletter that took her hours and hours to write. She got three people to book with her in January in the first 24 hours of that email being out. So I love it. Cannot more strongly say you've got to have those digital foundations for your business to be successful. And you have to do a little bit of work for those, but they're the things that work for you 24-7, 365. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it works because you're staying top of mind with people and you're showing up where they can't miss you because it's so easy to post on social and then someone misses it because they didn't log on in time or the algorithm decided they didn't need to see it. Like yeah. there's just so many things that you can't control there, but showing up in someone's inbox every month is something that we can control. And yep. it's, yeah, it, it's just so cool. That, that's encouraging to hear. And I think in a way you've, you've already answered this, but I want to hear if there's anything else. What marketing tactics have been the least successful? Because I know that social media can be successful for some people in some isolated situations, but 
for the majority of organizers that I've spoken with, and it sounds like those that you've spoken with, social's just not like the magic golden ticket that we all hoped it would be. And that's okay. But are there any other things, any misnomers and marketing that organizers need to be aware of that they may not be all that they're supposed to be? Yes. And some of these, hopefully these will not hurt anyone's feelings, but I'm going to be really, really honest. The first one that is always like really upsetting to people or not upsetting, that's not the right word, but it's just surprising to people is every organizer thinks that realtors are going to give them a ton of business. And that is one, by the way, it should work. It should be a natural connection and it should be one that is, you know, realtors should know exactly what an organizer can do for them and for their client. But in my experience, in my personal experience and as a coach, realtors tend to not be a good source of networking partners. Interior designers are much better sources of partnerships with organizers. But the second thing that I'm going to tell you, too, and these are things that I would just put it in the category of things that you get excited about because you think that they're great opportunities for you. And then you find out they're actually pay to play opportunities. So I'm sure see them all the time. Um, I will have people that'll be like, oh my gosh, I got approached today to do a podcast. And it's a five minute segment. You're getting approached by a pay to play podcast that's going to try to sell you on $5,000 of marketing that is not impactful and that you don't need. So, and I'm going to put in that category, golf clubs will contact you trying to get you to advertise in the book that they say they give all their golfers or local neighborhood magazines will you know, say, hey, would you like to, it's a $2,000 a year and you're obligated to do it for three years. So some of those pay to play opportunities, you think that they're going to be great. And unfortunately, they're just not. And I would also say too, in realtors, there's another thing I've seen a lot where a realty company will come to you and say, hey, would you like to be one of our preferred vendors? It's only $1,000 a year but we'll recommend you to all of our realtors and to all of our people. Please just say no to all those things. Spend $1,000 on way better things <laughs> or don't spend it at all. I would actually rather you have not spend it at all. Yeah. Well, this is such good information because especially with those um, the neighborhood magazines or yeah. whatever they call them, I know that for interior designers, that's a big thing too. Like they will go for that. And I think it's also in the same category of social media, whereas sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And you have to just be willing to be okay with the money you spent knowing you might not get it back. <laughs> yeah. Which to your point, maybe that's not the best choice. But then the other issue I have is it's print. And with yeah. print, we have no way of tracking anything. We don't even know if people are following through on the stuff that they said they were going to do when we paid them. Yeah. And the other thing that's concerning is if they're locking you into a multi-year contract. I mean, one year, yeah, okay, maybe for six months, sure. But two or three years, that just seems sketchy. Yeah, that's what I've seen in a lot of these cases is you are obligated to it. It's not just a one-year thing. And I am very into, like, I want people to invest money where it makes sense. But what I will tell you is a lot of these people will do, like, really strong-arm sales tactics. They're salespeople. They are media salespeople. And so the harder the sell that you get, the more you should run away, in my opinion. <laughs> I just think you're you're not going to get your money back. So please spend your money on something more impactful to your business. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad you said all of that. <laughs> this is amazing because we get so focused on the things we should be doing that we forget there's this whole category of things we should not be doing that we should yeah. stay away from. Now, we already know that the email marketing is a for sure thing, but what 
other things are good? Like, are there offline marketing, like networking things that organizers should be doing? Yeah, networking is um, one of the things people really get stressed out thinking about networking. It's really funny. There are a couple things that when I talk about them, people's faces just go like, eh, what? one of them is blogging and one of them is networking. <laughs> people get scared by these things. And what I want to do is demystify some of these concepts for people and just say, please don't be scared by it. I am not asking you to go stand in a room of total strangers and, you know, awkwardly like network with people at a formal event. Networking can be so many more things other than a chamber of commerce meeting. By the way, for some people, a chamber of commerce meeting is exactly where they need to be for their business. There are some communities where that is a fabulous place for you to go. But what I would tell you is a lot of organizers forget that you can make absolutely amazing connections by referrals, word of mouth, networking with similar things. So again, interior designers. The other thing that people forget about a lot, this is another one I'll shout from the rooftops. Please don't forget about your personal network. So if you are a person who, uh, for instance, I do like my personal Facebook. I don't love it for business, but I love it personally. I will frequently remind people that I'm a professional organizer in funny, casual ways, not in a creepy, salesy way. But I remind people that this is what I do for a living because then they tell their friends about me. I have gotten so many. I mean, if I added it up, it's tens of thousands of dollars in clients because my friend recommended me. A friend over here recommended me. Then I get into that group of moms or other people. They recommend me to their friends. That is zero dollars really very little work <laughs> it's just about reminding people this is what i do so personal networking not forgetting about that but then also doing some in-person networking that might be a woman's entrepreneur group it might be your standard chamber of commerce it might be a you know local moms groups anything like that doing some networking is really really critical i think Yes. And I think that in a way it taps into the herd mentality because I'm saying this as a mom with little kids, but those mom groups are like cults. Yeah. They are like tiny little cults. For example, the mom group I was in a few years ago, I was like, oh, I started using this pediatric chiropractor over here. Well, guess what? All of them started using the same chiropractor. I didn't tell them you should go use this person, but they found yep. out and they were just like, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to do. You know, so and it's like that, not just with moms, but with other business people. If one business person finds out, oh, used this organizer to like digitally organize all your computer files. Well, why am I not doing that? Then they're like, oh, okay, I need to do that. So it's just like you said, integrating yourself, like get your foot in the door, get a connection with one person who recommends you. And then there's a domino effect where you don't have to hunt down every single lead every single time. Correct. If you if it makes you feel better to it's, I just was thinking about this, maybe we need to change the name of it from networking, like because people are so obsessed with social media, we just need to call it like personal influencing. <laughs> I love it. All we're trying to do is we're trying to get you into, you know, the minds of people who then can say as someone comes to them and says, hey, do you happen to know an organizer? Do you happen to know an interior designer? Do you happen to know a blah, 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 that your name is the one that's out there? and. I do agree with you. It's not just about mom's groups, but man, if you can get in with some mom's groups, you do not have to worry about almost anything. So no. 
those women are fierce. <laughs> they are. Yeah, yeah. You also have to make sure you do a good job because we want you to keep getting referred. But... Yeah, otherwise the opposite effect will happen. And then yes, if you think you got canceled online, wait till you canceled <laughs> offline. <laughs> That's exactly right. But, but yeah, but I do think, you know, all joking aside, I think people get really scared about the idea of networking. And it's because we have this really old fashioned idea about what it is. So I want you to just shift your mindset about what networking is. It's just about telling people a little bit about what you do and being interested in what they do. And you know, making sure that you're also developing connections. I think that's something that people forget a lot is it's not just about telling people what you do. I'm a professional organizer. Ask them questions. People love to talk about themselves. You have to say, oh, you are a contractor. Holy cow. I have some clients that need you. It's about cross-referring too. We can't just always be takers. We have to be givers. Yes. Oh, that's such a good point. And it's easier to help the conversation keep going if you're asking them good questions, like not just yes or no questions, like how long have you been a contractor? What type of projects are you looking for? Or they might tell you, oh, we have got more work than we can handle. And then you can start talking to them about their team. And like, just like, there's so many ways that we can go with this. And I think it would make people a lot more comfortable because now they're not in the spotlight anymore. Yeah. And Because a lot of times when I'm consulting with people on networking events, they're like, I just have to have this elevator pitch. I'm just not sure to say, you have to help me write one. And that's usually when I tell them, look, I'm not going to help you write an elevator pitch. And here's why. You don't need one. Yeah. I just need to go in there and say, hi, I'm Kate. And I run a marketing agency for interior designers and organizers. And then, hey, what do you do? You know, like just then take the spotlight off yourself right away because it's really not about you. It's about the relationship. Also, just be a real human person. Like, I hate the concept of an elevator pitch because it means that you're taking something canned that you, you know, have just said. I would rather you just be a human person, just be like, hey, I'm Melissa. I help people get stuff out of their houses that they don't need anymore. Or I help people not hate their houses or whatever. Use hum- I like to use humor. That doesn't work for everyone, but, you know, it just be a normal person. It's a normal conversation. There's nothing special about it. You're not in a job interview. Just be relatable and enjoyable. Yes, be relatable and also remove expectation because it's not like you go to some sort of cocktail hour and you have to walk out with 10 business cards and two copy dates scheduled. There doesn't need to be any sort of expectation other than did you show up and did you ask people questions about themselves? If so, great. It was successful. The other thing, too, that I think is really we have to not overlook is I really believe organizers in a lot of cases are resource managers. <laughs> so our, part of our job is, you know, when you walk in someone's house, it's not just organizing that they need. Often they need painters. They might need a handyman. They might need a contractor. They might need a, you know, they might need a hundred different things. I like to view myself as a resource provider to them and as someone that can give them good recommendations. Here's a house cleaner that I love in this area. Here is a handyman that I love. I get free work in my house now because I have referred my handyman to so many of my clients. And he has so many clients now because of me that he will come do stuff in my house for free to thank me. (laughs) So, like that's what you need to do. And that that's really, I think, what our job is in a lot of cases and make yourself invaluable to that homeowner. Yes, I like it because you just kind of backed way up and gave the full picture, like get your head out of just organizing the pantry. You're here to help this family with a whole lot of other systems that right. they need. Yeah. 
speaking of systems, I have a question for you about the organizer, you know, herself or himself. Um, what's more important, marketing or financial management? Or rather, which one needs to be addressed first? And that's not a trick question because I've been asking everyone when I have a professional in a, like the design or staging industry come on, I ask them this question too. And so I, I would love to hear your answer. That's a great question. So I think if you really, really have to pick one, I think you have to be good at the finance stuff first yep. because you have to have the basis, right? You have to know your numbers. That is one thing. A lot of people don't know their their numbers or they're like, la, la, la. I'm not <laughs> okay. No. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cool you need to know how much money do I need to make? It's not all about money, right? I want you to have quality of life too, but how much do I need to make to sustain my business? Okay, cool. How much do I charge per hour? What are my expenses? What are my margins? You need to know all those things and then back into how many clients do I need per week because that drives your marketing. You need to figure out how you fill your funnel. And the only way you know how to fill your funnel is because you know exactly what you need to go get. Or you also can have those lofty goals too. You can say, here is what I need, my baseline. Here would be a stretch. And here is you know, pie in the sky, this would make me unbelievably happy. And then knowing I need 10 hours a week for this, 20 hours a week for this, 30 hours a week for this. And then you can start figuring out where does my marketing need to happen? And what kind of tactics do I need to use? And do I need to really put my foot on the gas? Or can I ease off a little bit? So it's a great question. You need both things. But I think you have to have the fundamentals first. Oh, absolutely. And as someone who runs a marketing agency, I have just started telling people that you actually don't need marketing first. I don't like working with people who prioritize marketing over financial management because they can't sustain the marketing and they leave Correct. it before they get results. And that yeah. makes me so bad because I'm like, if you would have stuck it out a few more months, you would have gotten the leads. But we had to start from scratch, and build this funnel first, and they yeah. just couldn't stick with it. So the big reason why now, like at my agency, we require a six month commitment because it's like if you can't commit up front, then this is just not going to work. But that also helps people who've already got their finances figured out be the ones that we end up working with, because anyone can go from not having a clue about finances and being scared of money like I was in the beginning. Yeah to finally getting it figured out. Like it's completely yeah. possible. As Marie Forleo says, it's figure outable. It's okay. You don't have to run from your QuickBooks account all the time. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than realizing, oh, wow, I'm actually losing money because I'm not charging enough. My hourly rate is yeah. too low or something like that, which actually leads me to another important question because I've had clients ask me like, what should my hourly rate be? And I'm not an organizing coach. I've never been an organizer. So I feel kind of underqualified to answer that. So is there a minimum hourly rate that an organizer should be charging? And if so, how do you figure that out? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, I always joke that every answer I give to any question in organizing is it depends. <laughs> um, and it really does. But what I will say is, I would say blanket, I can make this statement, I feel very comfortable making this statement for, you know, pretty much anyone. I think the absolute bare minimum you should ever be charging for organizing services is $65 an hour. That would be the bare minimum. There are certainly parts of the United States where, you know, I do have more organizers now that are starting to come from much smaller areas, so smaller metro areas. So there might be areas where you say, you know what, my market seems to tolerate $50 an hour, but 
I really believe we should aim higher than that. I think between $65 and $75 an hour should be considered your minimum. This is a really, really important service. But what I want to say is I also want you to do some market research. I want you to look around your area, not just for other organizers, but what do handymen charge? What do personal trainers charge? What do interior designers charge? These may seem like crazy, you know, completely different businesses, but you want to start to get an idea of what are some other services in my area and what are people charging for those so that I know I at least have a, a baseline of people are paying for these services in my area. But I see a lot of organizers now in a lot of different areas that are at $100 an hour, and I think that's a really fair amount of money for what we do. And then if you have a team, you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, it's just $20 extra for another organizer. Nope. <laughs> you need to be charging, <laughs> you know, whatever your hourly rate is, we're going to double it or at least, you know, you're going to be charging more money for that other person that's coming on, especially as your teams get much bigger. So it's a little bit of a wishy-washy answer, but it's true. No, that makes sense. And I'm glad that you gave the idea that 100 is completely fair. Yep. I have gotten a lot of pushback from people because I've started saying, you know what, I'm like with all my disclaimers, I'm not a coach, I'm not an organizer, but it just seems to me like charging less than 100 might make people with that extra income be suspicious. Like, yeah. Why are you charging so little? You know, like there's actually suspicion around that. Yeah. Why is it only this much? Like, what are you actually doing? And there is something that like for a lot of people, organizing is still a luxury service. Yeah. And I'm glad it's becoming more commonplace, but it is still kind of a luxury. It's custom. Absolutely. So custom luxury services naturally are in the hundreds. Like that's just yeah. a common association of, you know, even with retail products, if it's a luxury product, it's going to be in the hundreds because we all know that there's like that Timu app where everything is $10. Yeah. We know it's we straight up garbage. No, it's terrible. It, it's straight up garbage and the price reflects that. So what I always go back to is I can't advise people on specific dollar amounts, but I can advise them on the brand message that their prices are sending. Yes. It's perceived value versus actual value versus the price you put on it. And yes, it's freaking complicated. It just, it <laughs> is. But yeah. it's okay. You can change your prices too when you realize something's not working. You can change your prices. There are so many things in here. I could talk to you for like 17 hours. But you do not have to say, well, I have to make this decision and then I have to live with it for every other year of my business. You can change your prices every other day if you want to. I mean, I don't recommend that. <laughs> you can if you want to. And the other thing, too, is that you can really think about who your ideal client is and then what is exactly what you said. What is their perception of your business? There are people out there that want to pick the most expensive service yep. because there is that perceived brand. There is no difference between a Louis Vuitton bag and a coach bag, you know, substantively. But there is a difference in people's minds. So there are people out there that will say, I really want the person that is $100 an hour because this other person is $75 an hour. And so it feels like they're, they must be better at their job. There is a lot of sales psychology behind that. But the one thing that I will tell you that I think the most important thing is about pricing, it's not actually what your pricing is. It is your ability to give that price to a potential client 
without blinking, without going, well, it's $100 an hour, but I mean, like, I also um, will give you a discount if you do this and I'll, get, I'll throw this in for free and I'll do a couple free hours for you. No, you have to be able to confidently deliver whatever your pricing structure is, whatever your package structure is, whatever that looks like, deliver that without blinking. And that's when you know you've reached your sweet spot. Yes. Oh, and that's hard in the beginning to be like super hard. It's four thousand dollars, and then like if you're on the phone with them, and then sweet radio silence, and then they're like, "Okay, yeah, that sounds fine." And it's like yeah. if if I had kept talking, they could have actually lost confidence. Totally. You know, because yeah. like if we're confident in ourselves, they're actually going to be confident in us too, yeah. and confident in our prices. So yeah, oh, the psychology goes both ways on this one. Um, it is absolutely crazy. <laughs> Just be a nerd. Practice it in front of a mirror. Practice it with a friend. Practice it with, but be able to say that confidently. And by the way, I do not want to sound like a hypocrite. I hate money conversations. Even to this day, I've been doing this a long time. I do not love money conversations. I do not love saying, you know, that it's probably going to cost you X, Y, Z to work with me, but it's really important to be able to just be honest. And then also to know that you are worth it. It's like that old commercial. You're worth it. You are. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And mainly because the service is going to change their life. 100%. It's not really about like you as the person because we can't put a value on ourselves. We're priceless. But when you're trying to put a value on the service, I like to remind my clients, is this not going to help your client? Is yes. this not going to change the way they live every single day of their life? Yes. Yes. This is why you have to charge for it because if they could do it themselves, they would have already done it. Yeah. And might save their marriage will make their families happier, will make them happier, will probably make them sleep better. There are a thousand things I can tell you that our services do that are well beyond just putting some acrylics in a pantry. So oh, for sure, because it's like just looking at an organized space or knowing that like all my, my Dropbox is finally organized. I get such an dopamine hit from that. Wow. I'm like, oh, this looks so nice. I feel like I finally have my ducks in a row. Like this is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's huge. That's the feeling that clients of professional organizers are looking for. They are chasing the feeling. 100%. I had a client one time tell me that she said, I remember it verbatim. She goes, I did a cost benefit analysis of you versus my therapist and you get better results and you're less money. Well, by the way, please go to therapy if you need it. But I was like, okay, thank you. That's the best quote I've ever gotten. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's amazing. I hope that's on your website somewhere because that, that's just perfect. I've used it a couple places. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> good. Now, okay, on the whole money conversation, I also want to ask a very controversial question. Oh, I'm excited. I know, right? This is like, this is your jam. You're really good at these controversial things. And that's a compliment, by the way. Thank you. Do you feel that organizers should offer free in-home consultations? Okay, so this is one. It's funny that that you're asking this because this was like a hot, it was a hot topic in our inspired organizer group a couple of weeks ago. So this is another one of those hills I'm going to die on. I absolutely believe you should do complimentary consultations. And here's why. A couple different things. I'm going to give you a couple different ideas. First of all, from my old life in my corporate world, there was sometimes a one to two year stretch where you would be selling someone before they paid you a dime. Now, totally different business than what we do now, right? Like wildly different. But it was just the cost of doing business. <laughs> it was, you know, you had a sales cycle, um, you needed to do things. I hear so many organizers say, 
I need to get paid for every hour that I work. And if I go to someone's house and I do a consultation and they don't book, I lose that money. I've lost that hour. I see that very differently. I see the complimentary consultation as the first chance you have to build a relationship with someone, to build a rapport with someone, to determine whether they are someone that you want to work with. So it's not just that you are selling them on you, but it's really about is this a house I feel comfortable in? Do I get any ooky feelings about it? Is this a project that I feel like I can take on? Or is there another organizer I think would be better? You know, you start to get a plan together about, hey, how would I tackle this? What would I do? There are so many things you get in that consultation. And it's usually, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes to an hour. It's not a tremendous amount of time to really get you a much bigger win at the end. So I deeply believe in a complimentary consultation. And a lot of the other people um, that were we were having this discussion back and forth, there are people that wildly disagreed and came on the other side, too, um, and said, nope, I want to get paid for every hour that I have. I just know from a client perspective, and I have talked to some of my clients about this, there are other organizers that charge them for a consultation, and it was a real turnoff for them. So I have always felt like it's a great thing to do, and it just really helps you develop that. It gets you something better in the long term, but I understand that. The one thing I will always believe is people get to do whatever they want to in their business. And so if you don't feel that way, that's fine. But that's how I view it. I view it as a cost of doing business. Yeah. Well, this is extremely helpful. And honestly, you're kind of changing my thinking on it a little bit because okay, for interior designers, for example, like we typically do paid consultations, but they'll do like a free discovery call because it's kind of a different situation. But with organizers, it does make sense to like get in there, get the feel of the home and not expect that every single time they're going to book you like yeah I mean that's a pipe dream unfortunately and the same is true with discovery calls but then my question would be what is the structure of that in-home consultation because will there be situations or have you had situations where a potential client will just try to get free organizing advice yes. and then kick you to the curb and like how do you structure this so that that doesn't happen or does it and does it not matter no. Okay. So this is this is great. I and I sh I'm glad you asked this because this is a good clarification. When I talk to people who have said, "Oh, I started charging for my consultations because I went to a house one time and then all they did was take the things I told them and implement their own solutions." So I say, "You took a problem and you offered a totally different solution. The actual problem you needed to solve was I can't give away everything in the consultation." That's a you problem, not the client problem. Oh, yes. So what I like to remind people is that a consultation is not you delivering them the full plan that you are going to execute in their home. It is a conversation with them. It is, again, just a normal human conversation with them, just like networking. It is a walk around their house, and it's them talking to you about what their problems are what their frustrations are, why did they call you in the first place, what are they looking to do in their house. It's not about you offering all those solutions. And so what a lot of people will say is, you know, uh, I really had, you know, this situation where someone took all of, uh, you know, they just implemented all the ideas, then you need to stop talking. You probably talk too much in that consultation. It's about asking them and it's about giving them the confidence that you have a plan for them, that you would love to execute with them. But it's really about gathering information, not about giving solutions. That is such a good definition. You delineate between those two because it just sounds like 
a discovery call, really. Yeah. The discovery it's an in-person discovery call. Yeah. <laughs> and I also just want people to think about it too of, and again, everyone can do what they want. And there are people that are like, no, I'm absolutely going to charge for that consultation. But what I want you to do is just have a long, hard conversation with yourself. Because what I see a lot of times too, is people will say, well, I was doing in-home consultations and I wasn't charging for it and I wasn't converting anyone. And so then I would like to say, I want you to figure out why those people aren't converting. You know, there might be a part of your sales process that isn't working right. It might be that you talked too much or that you didn't ask them the right questions or sometimes looking inwardly, it hurts, right? <laughs> but I want, yeah, it, but it's really important. And so I want you to solve the actual problem versus thinking, oh, I have a solution to this problem and this is what the solution is. Oh, this is so good. Like there are so many quotable moments so far. Well, wow. <laughs> I love it. I'm so happy. Uh, I love talking yeah. about this stuff. I could talk about it all day. Yes. I mean, there are so many different directions to take this because one more thing I will say before I ask you the big final question is that this could in some ways tie back or correlate with the hourly rate. Like if someone is charging too low of an hourly rate, of course, they're going to feel like I have to bill for absolutely every hour I spend. I'm not going to break even this year. But if their hourly rate is comfortable and it's not about, oh, well, this this rate feels good to me. Who cares if how you feel about it? It's not about how yeah. you feel. It's about like, what does the market look like? Um, which is a whole other topic, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, Get into it for sure. point, like the emotion behind pricing. But um, if the hourly rate is sustainable, then doing the occasional in-home consultation when it's a qualified lead is not such a bad idea. Like it would actually make sense. Yeah. Raise your hourly rate. And I say this a lot, too, for people who say like they want to charge people the credit card fee. For, and I'm like, please don't do that. We're a luxury service and it's so cheap. It's so cheap. Please don't do that. Please raise your prices $5 an hour to compensate for that. Or if you feel really strongly about this consultation situation, change your pricing by $10 an hour or whatever it is where you make that up. If that makes you feel better, you're exactly right. Again, we want to solve a problem by doing one thing, but we're actually solving the wrong problem. So you've got to raise your hourly rates to a place that accommodates those sales and marketing activities. So we don't charge people for how much our, you know, I said, I used this example the other day. If someone comes to our website, we don't say, oh, it was a dollar for you to send me an inquiry on my website. That's essentially what you're doing. I think charging for the consultation is like, we're trying to charge people for a thing that should be complimentary in our business. I think. That's that my hot take. Sense. Yes, it's very logical. And I think at this point, anyone who has not heard of you before this episode is going to be very interested in learning from you further. So how can they? Hopefully they are. Yeah. How can they get into all things Inspired Organizer? Yeah, I would love to have people join us. Um, the Pro Organizer Studio podcast is where most people know me from. And so if you have enjoyed this conversation, I uh, like to expound on a lot of things in the organizing world over at the podcast. So that would be kind of the first place that you can get to know me. But you can also come to our website, which is proorganizerstudio.com. You can join us on social media, even though I have a lot of feelings about social media for organizers. I am there, of course, um, as we all are at Pro Organizer Studio. Or the way that I actually love to interact with people truly is please send me an email. I monitor. It is just me. It is not 
you know, an assistant or a bot or anything else, if you email hello at proorganizerstudio.com, it will come to my lovely inbox and I would love to chat with people. So lots of ways to get involved. But podcast would be the first place that most people say like, oh, I love the podcast. So that's the way that I love to interact with people. Yes. Oh, amazing. And I, I love the podcast because there's so much information. There's so many ways they can get up to speed so that you don't have to like repeat over and over and they can learn at their own pace. And yeah, that's why I started my podcast because I was like, I can't keep repeating myself. Y'all just have to go listen to this. I recorded it. Let's <laughs> go listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, and I... I have loved your podcast from the beginning because I feel like one of the things that's important to me is um, that people get actionable advice, like actual advice that you could go take and implement into your business. And obviously, I would love for people to get involved. I would love to coach you. I would love for you to be a part of our Inspired Organizer program. But I also am also just thrilled to give people actionable advice that they can use in their business until they get to a point where they want to add actual coaching to their retinue or I would love to help you build your business from the ground up. And that's that's what I love to do every day. So amazing. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I was so thrilled to be here. All right, everyone. Until next week, keep your marketing simple, your message clear, and please check out the show notes of episode 244 because you'll have the links to go check out Inspired Organizer and to listen to Melissa's podcast, which I highly recommend. All right, guys. See you next time.